millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of this fine production. We're an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first today. I am joined by F1 journalist and broadcaster described by Joe Saywood as the James Hunt of the F1 media press room. It's Chris Medlin. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Afternoon, how are you doing? I am so curious about the lives of F1 journalists. And when I'm accusing, when I was accusing Joe of being a party animal, you know, on his, on his trips away, he said, no, no, you want to look at Chris Medlin for that. Is, is it true? Is it true? Uh, ask the team. <laughs> ask the team. Um, uh, it's sometimes you get a bit of fun in. Like Austin was a good one. Mexico was fun as well, but you know, never at the expense of work. So it does mean you get home at the end of it all and you just feel like you need a detox and a few days off and you normally don't get that. But I stayed out in the US until uh, Thursday, flew back Thursday night, landed Friday. So um, my body's not thanking me right now for having four nights at home and then going straight to Brazil. I, I was going to ask if um, if the North American leg is a bit different. I'm imagining the European legs reasonably reserved. Then you guys all fly out to the Americas and it all goes uh, all goes wild and carnival. It's weird because you don't notice it, but a lot of the European ones can be quite good fun. I mean, it depends where you stay. And somewhere like Budapest is like a lively city or in Germany, we stay in Heidelberg and that's quite good for some bars and some beers each evening. But then you go to Singapore because of the time zone difference. That tends to be strange in terms of a a schedule so that you you do a fair bit of um, enjoying yourself there. And then Japan is bonkers and incredible. I went out early for the Rugby World Cup. So that was tiring i know i know i can hear the violins um so then got back from that for a few days and went straight to yeah mexico and the us and personally i just love america anyway but then working for racer and doing a lot of stuff over in the us it's um it's quite a busy one for me and a lot of people i know over there so yeah we had a lot of fun espn had a a free open house in austin so there was live music and uh local ales kimmy 
Kimmy did a great event in Austin. I tweeted about really him, launching his West Coast Choppers clothing line right uh, on the day before the race. Uh, so it's all this Kimmy branded gear with Jesse James uh, collaboration. Really cool, and it was just in this old kind of workshop where they had a load of really cool choppers. Uh, one of the Bahad cards was there. There was some mega off-roaders, just huge engines, just so much cool stuff to look around. Um, and it came along with free live music, uh, free beer. There was a cigar shop. There was a paint shop where you could see some cool cars being painted up. And they did, I don't know, five minutes of Q&A, sat on some stalls, and that was it. It was it was awesome. That's how every media event should be. Can you imagine going to a Kimi Raikkonen event and it just being a very dry, sombre affair? You'd, you'd feel very cheated, wouldn't you? Was the man himself there in fine form? He was, yeah. Um, and he wasn't having any drinks or anything. He was just chilled, you know, doing photo shoots, talking to people. Um, he was stood around and up for a chat. Um, it's wearing all the gear, obviously, to promote it. But he was just very relaxed. I think it was right up his street that... No one told him he had to be anywhere at a certain time. He could just hang out and for five minutes answer some questions and have a bit of a laugh, and then that was him done. It, I, I, I've always, you know, I assumed in real life it's not just one word answers. Is, is do you think that's deliberate when he goes to the media and says like yes, no, we'll find out later? That is like a that's how he wants to appear on race day. Yeah, he, he kind of created a persona for himself because when you ask him a good question or he wants to say something, he's very talkative. Uh, you get him in the right environment, he's very chatty. And he's actually, I say, got a lot better recently. But he found out early on that he could just, if he was very short with his answers, people would kind of leave him alone a little bit more. Uh, and it worked for him. So he kind of, he just stuck with it. Yeah, I know, leave me alone, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, it's um, it's exactly like being a, a dad or a husband. The the less responsive you are, the less they ask for your time, love and attention. Yeah, it's a, it really is a golden, it is a golden rule for life. I am so glad to hear that you're not wasting the F1 circus lifestyle in the way that I sometimes feel that Joe does. Because I always ask him, what, what, what are the parties, Joe? What, what, what's the lifestyle like? He's like, oh, no, no, no. Too busy filling out my race chart. Well, to be fair to Joe, I think he used to be much more like that. Really? Um, not, not saying that he's now older, but when he was younger, uh, he talks about some of his stories from the past and uh, he had a lot of fun with it, with all the travel. Uh, I'd say most of it comes in between races, though. Something like Mexico and Austin being a back-to-back couple of days over there. We went to see the San Antonio Spurs on a Monday night after Mexico and Charles Leclerc was there and came and said hi. And he was like, oh, your seats are very nice. And they were good. We got quite good seats. But he had been sat courtside. And he comes up trying to tell us, oh, yours are good. I "I think yours are slightly better. Um, (laughs) And then Tuesday was the Kimi event. We played a bit of top golf while you're there. And you just get to socialise all together as well, which is nice because you're on the road a lot with these people and normally in high-stress situations. Uh, also picking up on Mark's question when he's like, never at the expense of work, but often on work expenses. <laughs> uh, fortunately, it's my own boss. They're my own expenses. So uh, I can convince myself that they're okay. But when I send it to my accountant and I say, oh, yeah, this was uh, San Antonio Spurs tickets. Yeah, he won't let that through. So um, it's just more that I get to plan my time. I'm quite lucky like that being freelance. I can plan my time better and work remotely uh, and yeah, try and make the most of it a little bit. So plus, you talked about you know the better halves and all that. And I don't have to worry about coming back for anyone. So... Oh, you're doing it right, Chris. I, I always facepalm when I hear about an F1 driver getting married. You go, oh, don't don't be an F1 driver and get <laughs> married. Do that afterwards. Uh, yeah, you speak to my co-host, Matt Trumpets, freelance on everything as well. Everything's taxable. He's, he's teaching me his ways. Everything's an expense. Uh, yeah, so um, one, of the, one of the blessings of a freelancer, I'm sure you have the same thing that the other freelancers do. You're either not busy enough or you're so busy you want to cry. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, normally, I've been quite lucky. Normally, the latter. 
Um, it gets a bit quiet during the off season, but then your expenses are much lower, so it's not such a big deal. It's quite good to get a bit of downtime. Uh, but during the year, yeah, you've got to make the most of being on site all the time and saying yes to everything. And it, it, it works out pretty well. You get so much stuff last minute that comes in. Someone says, oh, you'll be in Brazil. Can you do this for us? Or can you get us that? Uh, and you just say yes, because you, there'll be a year when it's really quiet and you say, <laughs> yes. you said no two years ago and it doesn't come back round again and you wish you had. So, yeah, I always say yes to stuff, which is, uh, I do regret it quite often just from the lack of sleep. Like, like now, like now doing this. Uh, this. This is cool. I get to, <laughs> I'm chilling out in my own flat uh, with a very cold cup of tea. This is fine. This and, is and I'm getting to drill you about your, your personal life on the road. I think when you <laughs> said the, the term detox, that, that told me everything I needed to know and set me down a path. If we, if we focus in on the work side just a yep. little bit, we've got a question from, uh, from Shoemaker, from Shoemaker. Uh, in our patron Slack group, who, who who's curious about how you watch the race. Because recently we had Joe show us his lap chart where he meticulously fills in his, his positions lap by lap. He asks, um, is that a thing everyone does or do other people have different approaches to recording the race for reporting? So where do you watch it? You watch it, do you listen to the commentary? Yeah, no, never get commentary. Um, so normally watch it in the media center. Uh, depends which role I'm doing. So with some of the TV work I do for NBC, the Middle East broadcaster, there's a plug. They have me in the TV pen quite often. So I'm interviewing the drivers as and when they retire or at the end of the race. For that, until the first retirement, I'll be in the, in the media center making notes on every single driver and how their race is going. So when they pit, how their start was, just the key aspects, because you still want them to tell you how their race went rather than you tell them. Um, but you need to be aware of how it's going, where they started, which tire they were on, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's normally done all in one notebook where it's one page per team. And then as soon as the first retirement happens, they might come to the TV pen. So you head out there and watch it on the screen out there, which is a lot tougher because normally it's bright sunshine and you can't see a thing and you can't see the t- lap times and you can actually miss a lot that way. But that means then I'll be busy from the second anyone's retired. If I'm doing just a normal race report that I do for Racer, if it's not a TV weekend, uh, I'm sat in the media center with um, live timing on my laptop as well. Um, I've managed to get a, a good feed of that. We've got the live timing in the media center, got this TV screen and just a, a Word document open and lap by lap that something happens, I'm making notes. But I don't do a full lap chart like Joe does, partly because then about 20 minutes, half an hour after the race, I think normally uh, the FIA print out a lap chart for you. So if you needed it for that reason, I take it. But yeah. I understand like it's more personal preference as well yeah, as how it how it works for you and how comfortable you are doing it. But well, I said to Joe, I said the, the F1 timing app's got like exactly that lap chart. It's just you just click the little button. Um, but yeah. no, no, that's if that, if that's something you've been doing for thirty years, and it it, it probably helps uh, set off certain procedures and ways of thinking in your yeah, head. Exactly. Uh, Put you in the right mode. Puts you puts you in the right mode, and uh, and you always find the time as well to to tweet. Like I follow you at Chris Medland F1 because during the race, you kind of alert me that something has happened that I should be paying attention to. So you still find time to do that. Usually, yeah. that's I'm more likely to be doing that if I am uh, not doing the TV stuff because I can see more in the media center. I normally have a better, uh, you know, got a Wi-Fi connection and you can react more quickly. If I'm just with my phone out in the TV pen, normally you're on rubbish, slow 4G and you've got your hands full anyway with a pen and notepad, so tweeting's a bit harder. So I think people can normally tell because there's certain sessions that I tweet 100 tweets, uh, all sorts of rubbish, 
And then there's other ones where there's nothing. You wouldn't even know a race had happened because I was just too busy writing down notes. So I do feel I'm a bit bad for that. But yeah, that's uh, that's something else I try and do when it's going Oh, on. I think you're being not modest. Um, watch it, can they, so. I think you're being modest. You've, you've not seen me too wrong because I have you on a, an alert thing during the races. And, and, and that always helps um, as part of my view. And we have the live timing screens. We have, and this is me and the boy, we have the race on the screen and we've got Medlin telling us when we need to pay attention to stuff. Uh, you pay attention to stuff in the US. I mean, yeah. it's a valid answer to this question to say no, but somebody had a bit of a go at me for not mentioning the indie purchase and that someone knew was bought indie as an F1-centric motorsport fan. Should I be paying attention to this? A, a little bit. So basically, because Penske's brought it, in a sense, you could say, no, it's a, a largely North American focus still. Um, but it's as big as, you know, in F1 terms, Liberty taking over ownership. It's a big change. Uh, it could completely change the way they want to run the series. Uh, one thing that's interesting from a Formula 1 perspective was that Penske then said they were interested in maybe bringing F1 back to the speedway, uh, looking at if they could do that. I think enough time has passed that they could risk it. Uh, I don't think there's going to be quite the uh, the hatred from some of the fans that there would have been from what happened in the past. But, oh, let um, go, guys. <laughs> it's, it's risky. Um, but then what was more interesting, just before it broke, I got contacted by Robin Miller at Racer, who I work with, and he asked me if I knew anything about it because he'd been tipped off on the Friday. I think they announced the news on the Monday. I think it was on the Friday before he'd been tipped off that it was being sold to Penske and Liberty. And he thought Liberty were involved and wanted me to do some digging. And I did ask a couple of questions in Austin, but they all said, we're not technically Liberty. We work for Formula One, which is owned by Liberty, but we wouldn't know the answer to that anyway. Uh, you're not going to get an answer out of anyone over the weekend. So you kind of went, oh, okay, we'll see. Yeah. And then Monday it was announced and they weren't involved. It was it was just Penske from what I understand. So um, yeah, that kind of meant it was less of an impact, but it still still has some um, some impact in the sense that it's just a big change in the motorsport landscape. And that Penske have said that they'd be interested in maybe bringing F1 back to the speedway because the fact they own IndyCar is one thing, but probably not that relevant to F1. Uh, but the fact that they now own the speedway and might change where they use that, that could be relevant. So I don't know. I'm trying to think of this from an American point of view. We have a lot of American listeners. I would say 35, 40% of our listenership is American. But is it is it like with us with like soccer and then NFL comes over and it's kind of a bit of a curiosity? Is it for them? Is it all about NASCAR, IndyCar? But then when it's the Austin GP, that's when they switch their focus to F1. I'd actually say no. There's a little bit of that with certain outlets, um, that certainly the local ones, but then also some of the mainstream media over there take a bigger interest. ESPN obviously took a massive interest in their home race, but then they announced that they were extending their deal as well while they were there. But I just think there's actually a very big hardcore following in the US. It's just smaller than the other categories um, and the other US sports. So if we looked at it in isolation as just a as a solid figure, it's a good figure. But in the percentage terms of the US sporting landscape, it's not so big. So um, it catches the eye a little bit. Uh, but realistically, people are really fans or they're not. And if they're yeah. not, they just don't care. It could be racing on their back, on their doorstep, and, and they wouldn't be that bothered. But it's only once a year. Is is more The push is for more races. So if you ended up having Canada, Mexico, Austin, and then like Miami or some someone suggesting that Daytona would be better than Miami. Would more races help, do you think? I, I can firstly say like, I love Daytona as a race, as a 24-hour race, but if you were ever to have to go there, it just doesn't fit F1 at all. Um, I could definitely see why they're trying to do Miami, but we'll, yeah, we'll leave that argument about whether it's going to be in the right place or not for another question. But um, I do think it would make a difference, yeah. 
And I definitely think that there's too many people in F1 overplaying the potential um, problem of having multiple races all together in the US because they fly around like we fly around Europe. And in fact, much more easily than we do. So they can move more freely, but the distances are huge. And if you want to go from the east to the west coast, the time zone swings way bigger than anything we have in Europe. You can drive between F1 races within Europe way more easily than you probably would drive between where the F1 races would be held in the US. So I think it would actually be much further apart. But because it's all one big country, everyone says, oh, you can't have back-to-back races in one country or can't have two or three there. And it's, it's enormous. It, it genuinely is like you need to compare America to Europe. And we have so many races in Europe. I don't want to lose any European races, but I do see the value in, in adding some more American ones and don't think they'd hurt each other. It, it does feel like America really values its motorsport, has a really rich motorsport culture, and then maybe F1 actually goes to places that doesn't have that same racing DNA. And it, like we're leaving so much on the table as F1. I say we, as if I'm as if I'm part of it. But, you know, imagine it. a world where you could really get the US excited about Formula One. I, I think, you know, that would be a huge step up in Formula One and just they could bring a different kind of competitiveness. I, imagine if all the young American drivers, their focus was on was on F1. I think we'd see a, a real, a, a good change in F1's makeup. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think there's, there's a lot that F1 could do differently, but there's also a lot that, um, America would need to do differently. When we look at what's happening with Miami, the difficulty in trying to put on an event, the, even then there's a lack of understanding. The arguments that are being used against it are, are pretty flimsy, but they're being heard. And F1 itself could do more to sort of promote itself and make sure it's clear what what it would really be like, how loud it would be, you know, how much disruption there would be, that sort of thing, how polluting it would be. Um, so I think a lot of that is... Uh, like both sides could do better. Sorry, I got a bit distracted by one of the questions that came in, but someone said, um, why isn't Long Beach in the picture at all? Yeah. And I believe it was, actually. I think they've, they really looked into that. Um, so Racer, who I work for, do a lot of promotion work with Long Beach, and they looked seriously at it, but it came down to a decision then of one or the other. Was it going to be F1 or IndyCar? They weren't able to do both, I don't think, or, or didn't feel that they could uh, feasibly do both. And IndyCar's been more successful there, um, it's it's one of their flagship events, really, as as a street course, and the the fact that F one had a history was attractive, but they just saw it as as too much of a disruption, too too big a step compared to what they have to do for IndyCar, uh, and too much of a risk, really. So they they looked at it and didn't really go for it. And I think also, I don't think then there was quite enough of a drive from Liberty and from that side of F1. They kind of wanted something that was new and was theirs. Oh, so they were oh, looking at other things. That's a shame because Long Beach has got a history and it's got an aura all of its own. But no, I can understand. Yeah. I mean, there's some really twisty, twisty bits in there. I think the, the second you start moving towards population centres, I mean, if you look at Formula E and, and was it Battersea? Uh, yeah. yeah, you're always going to come up against that kind of stiff opposition. I can't find any one of you official media types to agree with me but come on chris street circuits are a bit rubbish aren't they for f1 well that's a longer pause than i normally get so progress i was just thinking back though i was like we have some mega races in baku are they crazy um well they have been this weekend this year wasn't amazing um singapore is normally very entertaining it could do with a little bit more overtaking but i think that's as much as a car problem as it is track i think the track can work rather than the track is the problem we know monaco the track is the problem but it's Monica, so we're always going to have it. Um, I think the right street circuits work. I'm really interested to see how Vietnam goes, the way they design that. Um, I think that's going to be a 
pretty crazy. There's going to be some really high speeds there, some good overtaking opportunities. The Miami one, I think the original plan I liked, like the location, again, something that they created with a lot of high speed sections, um, big stops so that you could get overtaking. The, uh, the whole concept there was right. Once that didn't work, I don't know if they'd done the right thing by sticking with it. I know because Stephen Ross wants to pay for it, and that that's perfect. That's exactly what they need. That's why that's still ongoing. But um, I'm not too sure that even even you create the best possible circuit within the car park, and it can look incredible. I know <laughs> yes. we talk about car park. You can make it look great anyway, mm. but I still think you're going to be too restricted with the space they've got there compared to what they could have had. So I'm not sure that's the, the best way to go. So, yes, some street circuits can be a bit rubbish for F1. But they can be good if they're done right. So it's it's just making sure that they're done right. Fan of Monaco, Chris? Uh, honestly, like 50-50. The, the racing is disappointing. Like you're, You still get excited before the start. And yeah. then slowly you're like, no, it's not going to quite happen. Um, qualifying's incredible. I like the weekend schedule. We get an extra day off in the middle. So that's nice. Um, For party also- Medland. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what's, what is very cool is the way that it, it seems to disregard everything else that F1 does. I mean, the final sector, all the bars along there, they use the track as their sort of dance floor and, and serving area. And it's bonkers to see, but you sort of go, yeah, this is, this is, Formula One is bonkers. We are driving cars around here at 200 kilometers an hour. Like this kind of fits, but you can only do it once. You do get to the end of the weekend and you're only pretty jaded and it's so expensive. We're talking about the expenses earlier trying to book a hotel yeah. anywhere nearby and, and the logistics of it is is tough. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's always a tough weekend, but no, I, I still do quite like it. Okay, I guess for me, it's it's kind of like Christmas. It, it's a pain in the butt. Everyone gets strangely excited about it. I can't understand it. It stops the, the bit of the year that I enjoy, but it's only for a weekend. So we <laughs> can kind of tolerate it. If you had three Christmases a year, you'd definitely get fed up. If we had yeah. three Monaco's a year, I'd... I'd, I'd make more noise, but I do allow myself a little whinge just because, you know, of the people who tell me that I, I need to go there. I can't. I don't have any money. I have children who require food yeah. nearly every day. Well, I remember uh, for my 21st, it was the same uh, weekend as my, or same year as my uh, old man's 50th. And my mum wanted to take or send us to an F1 race. And at the time I was sort of working my way up, getting into Formula One. And I knew Jake Humphrey, who was uh, BBC's presenter. So I asked him, I said, everyone talks about Monaco like, do you think we should try and do that? And he said, no. He said, it's not worth the money. Um, like, it's cool to do it at some stage, like when, you, when you're comfortable with it. But if you're just doing one, like, you can get so much better value for money. And in the end, we did Barcelona, which um, great city. The circuits, like th- that race, there wasn't a huge amount of overtaking, but we seem to be improving that a bit. Um, the, the tickets were reasonable. It's easy to get in and out. Weather was quite good. You know, there, there is, mm. I, I now tell people Budapest. I think that's a great one. That's good value for money and a great fun city. Um, so I, I think that's a better one to do. So yeah, there's definitely better than Monaco if, if you worry <laughs> about your bank balance like we all do. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I always uh, am tempted at the beginning of the year to go to preseason testing just as a very kind of relaxed, chill out, just to see some F1 cars rolling by and just have a, a good old, because I've never been to, to Barcelona, just to have like a nice wander around. I guess there's more kind of access and uh, less people during testing. Yeah, certainly far less people. Yeah. Um, access can be hit and miss. Sometimes they close certain sections off just because there's not many people there and they can't steward them. But then that annoys people that have gone and want to be able to wander yeah. around. So it can yeah. be a bit hit and miss, but it is cool. I actually think a lot of people do find it, they, they get bored fairly quickly because there's no, you know, there's no screens showing you what's happening elsewhere. There's no real timing. It's just what you can get from online. Um, so you're basically sat in the grandstand staring at your phone as much as you are at the track. So I think people go to 
kind of see the cards in the flesh for a spell. Yes. Yeah. What's good about testing is you get a few days consecutively. So you could go for like a morning and then you head back into the city and explore it for the afternoon, read up what happened and then go back the next day, that sort of thing. As, a, as an F1 viewer, I having gone to live races, you don't enjoy the sport of it as much when you're at yeah. the track. <laughs> you're like, you can't yeah. follow the event as a whole anyway. So yeah, no, I'd be happy with that. Just to soak in a bit of a bit of testing here, you know, see some cars grind to a halt. Uh, you know, hear the coughing and spluttering of the Renault in real in real life up close. Uh, the championship, Chris Rob Andrews, mm-hmm. is wondering that now that both championships have been decided, are you experiencing a different vibe and energy? Uh, for example, Toto, he's not travelling to to Brazil; he's taking a breath. Do you find that you know it's kind of that end of school, end of term feeling already? Has that set in now? Not yet, but that's partly because the last day we were in the paddock was when the Drivers' Championship was won. So you were flat out busy with that. Uh, Thursday in Brazil might be a little like that. Um, I think the fact that Toto's not coming does actually speak volumes. Um, obviously, they won the championship there last year, so he, he had to be there. But it's a long, long way to go after the run of races people have had just for five days. Uh, it's definitely a, a tough one. There's a lot of people that won't be going. I know sort of British uh, newspaper media, quite a few people hadn't booked and had hoped Lewis would get it done in Austin. Otherwise, they'd have to then book late for Brazil. Uh, but it's quite, you know, the, the flight's quite expensive. Everything there is not too, not too bad, but the flight's expensive. And yeah, it's, I think, direct it's 12, 13 hour flight. Um, it, it takes its toll, especially at this time of year. So I can see why people are, are not going and I can see why Toto's decided to stay in Europe and focus on other things. Um, but the, at the end of the day, once you get down to the business of on-track stuff, nothing changes. Everyone is doing the same thing, the same procedures, working as hard as they can to win the thing. Yeah, except has, except has, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, um, it does take a bit of an edge off when you, you want to see, you know, say Lewis is fighting for someone, and you know, the title's still on the line. You know, that you can't, you can't beat that. But when it's, uh, a bit of a free fall. Sometimes you go, well, great, gloves are off. You might see Lewis takes more risks in his racing, or Valtteri takes more risks in his racing, or the way that people then race them. They think I've got to race them harder because they're not going to they're not going to give way because they don't have a championship to worry about. So it can change that dynamic. That could be quite fun. Well, me and the panel were chatting yesterday that uh, Lewis Hamilton might actually have to start thinking now about getting in Verstappen's head. Because at the moment, they're kind of all going, yeah, on you go, on you go. Easy when you've got the title sewn up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he is in Verstappen's head, though. I think Max has learned that Lewis is the guy that will race him hardest and cleanest normally. Um, I I think it's probably the one guy he doesn't feel he has an advantage over. And that's, you know, to me, that's what happened in Mexico was Lewis, okay, says he didn't really want to be where he was, but he raced him so hard that he normally nearly took the two of them out and Seb at the same time. But that was a statement as much to Max. That he's like, I'm not jumping out of the way for you just because I've got a championship to win. So um, Max was the one saying, oh, I'm in yeah. their heads because they're talking about me. But we, as media, asked them. It was uh, Lawrence Edmondson from ESPN asked them, is Max the hardest driver on the circuit? And you have to race him differently. Now, if you then ask Max what he thinks of the others, if, if we'd have done that first, he probably would have given an answer about the other drivers. And one of them could easily have said, oh, we're in his head because he's talking about us. So I do sometimes feel a bit guilty almost. So it's not that the driver just walks up and goes, I want to talk about Max. It's not quite how it works. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I, now, I don't want a helmet, shame you, Chris, but I can, I can see your helmet behind. Is that a Nico Rosberg helmet? Yeah, you did this the, last time. It's I? the only mini helmet I've Oh, got. sorry. Right, it triggered me before and it's triggered me again. But I've also, I don't know if I've got it all in. This is basically, I just grabbed the stuff that I could see that was nearby, you know, because I... I don't normally sit here and have all this stuff around me. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> I've got Bruce McLaren autobiography here, which is mm. I'm looking forward to reading on the way to Brazil. Ah. Uh, and a Toro Rosso Wilnut from preseason testing uh, this year, I think. Did you have yeah. to steal that? Did you have to sneak in Pink Panther style to go and grab I that? I didn't have that? to, but I did. You did? No, yeah, just I, for they, they, hand, they handed them out uh, to all media in preseason, oh. just a bit of a gift um, at one of their launch events. So, yeah, that was cool. And one of the other teams actually then asked to see it, to see how it's mounted. And I was thinking, are you wanting to see how it's mounted or are you wanting to see if there's any technology here that you might want to stick on? No, they wouldn't do that. Surely, surely well, not. Well, the person that then did look at it genuinely focused on how it was bonded to the uh, little carbon fibre plackets on, which was basically through a <laughs> little bit of wire. So it wasn't particularly high tech. So that's a mini helmet that wouldn't fit on your own Swede. No, no, my ego's far too big for that. Oh, I see, I like it. So when you go karting like you did at the weekend down at Buckmore yeah. Park. That's where we have our our um, our Mist Apex karting events as well. In the sopping wet, are, are you an own helmet, own kit person? Not yet. No, no, I will no. be soon. Not I will yet. be soon. Well, this was Club 100. I was uh-huh. the only person, the only person out of 74, not with their own helmet. That's a competition, so we can understand We're, that. But if you were so- to turn up to just a normal rental event in your own kit you have to win it's like having pink football boots yeah i understand that i um actually so saturday i watched local rugby here down the road to where i live and uh the fly half was wearing uh pink boots 
and not having a good game. And I said, I was made that exact point. Yep. I was like, one, it's risky as a rugby player to wear the pink boots anyway, but two, you've got to play well. But then, yeah, from karting, I've, I've got my own gloves that were given to me free from Alpine Stars years ago and they're actual karting gloves. So they've barely been worn because I didn't want to overuse them. Uh, they came out for Sunday. So um, but that, then, that, that's a competitive uh, karting championship. You're yeah. not you're not a competitive carter per se. So were you just not, down there? Not to that level. Oh. Um, so I, when you said about you got to, if you do arrive and drive and take your own helmet, you got to win. The last three visits to Sandown for some arrive and drive two stroke karting, I've been top three each time. Uh, I won one, but I think it's by default because the guy that would have won by miles is cut broke. Well, he, he bust a tire with a lap to go, so I inherited that win. But um. Yeah, so I, I'm okay when it's arrive and drive, which is why I went to Club 100 to see just how high that level is and found out pretty quickly it's it's a lot higher than mine. But uh, I didn't finish last in any heat and I didn't finish last in the C final. So uh, I'm counting that as a win. It, it does give you a better appreciation. I, I like it when journalists go out and turn a wheel because it, it, even little things like running over curbs and just being a little bit wheel to wheel, it just gives you a little bit of a better perspective of what the guys are going through, a little bit more of a respect for what they're oh, what they're doing. Massively, I, genuinely in those conditions, like slick tires, wet track, uh, seeing the good carters was incredible. But then to think just how good these F1 drivers are that they jump in one of those and it would be nothing to them. I mean, a lot of us were you could see people were still like afraid of the conditions and such because one snap and you're in the barrier and you'd watch an F1 guy go around and they would be an, an absolute different level. They make it look so easy. Uh, and that's in a go-kart. So imagine them having to do that, you know, when the track's getting wet in a Formula One car and you're still on slicks, you know, when do you time the change, trying to get it done early? Like Jensen Button was always great at it, but going one lap before everyone else to get onto slicks when it's still wet. If you get it wrong, you're getting it wrong at 200 miles an hour, not at 20. So, um, yeah, huge, huge respect for what they do. Uh, although I'd still like it, though. I, I just, just feels like uh, that, you know, around those F1 events, they should just have, everything should be about, you know, driving, sim racing, karting, just to get everybody in that kind of mindset and stop us being like, um, yeah, sofa dwelling, sofa dwelling pundits, if you like. Uh, right. Uh, moving on, moving on to, uh, Brazil, the championships wrapped up. There's, um, there's a lot of people trying to make this comparison now as Hamilton, uh, approaches, uh, seven world championships. Personally, I, I think you're really always going to struggle talking about the the driving ability between the two. Two completely different eras, two completely different skill sets, two completely different driving styles required. The one place we might be able to do a comparison, though, is politically, because Michael Schumacher was very much, he was Ferrari at that time. He was Mr. Ferrari. Now, Lewis Hamilton would love to let us all believe, oh, I'm just an employee, you know, it's all level me and Bottas that's fine I don't care who I drive against whereas the suspicion from my end here is that actually he's probably as Schumacher in Mercedes or certainly more Schumacher than perhaps the perception is uh maybe more so yeah I don't think he's as Schumacher by any stretch um something that I found really interesting was uh, Ross Braun admitted it after Lewis won on Sunday he said that Having worked with Michael and the way that Michael dedicated everything to Formula One and being successful, that was his whole life revolved around being able to deliver within Formula One and, and to build a team around himself. And he said he was nervous when Lewis came on board because obviously, you know, uh, Ross was team principal at that time. And he said, having someone like Lewis who wasn't in that way inclined, he thought, you know, this is going to be a bit difficult. Uh, and what it showed Ross was that there are more than one ways of, of, skinning a cat essentially you know you can you can actually uh take a totally different approach and get the same results 
And while he was convinced by Michael's approach, he then was quite quickly convinced by Lewis's. I think Lewis is more then his performances have allowed him to build that momentum and that ability that Mercedes will back him um, for whatever he needs. But I don't think he's quite as calculated as Michael would have been in terms of, I need that guy here, I need that guy there, we need to do this, we need to do that. I think it's more that Lewis was demanding on what he wanted and then Mercedes go and find a way of giving him that, however it may be. So I don't think you get Lewis going, I want you to hire this guy from this team. I think he goes, I want us to be better at this or, or, or I want the car to be better at this. And then Merck go, right, who do we need that would help us do that? Um, I think that's more the way he's worked within Mercedes. Right. That's also been the way it's gone with Bottas. I think Bottas coming on board was because they learned the way Lewis didn't always perform to his best alongside Rosberg. So I don't think that meant Lewis went, I want Bottas as my teammate or I want a teammate that's not quite as difficult as Nico was to handle. I think Merck saw that, worked out how to get the best out of Lewis and and then delivered a driver that would win races at, at times, but also not rattle Lewis's cage too much. Um, so I, I, I think, yeah, if I was to be brutal in terminology, I don't think Lewis is as clever as Michael was in that sense. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not as good or hasn't built a team around him that is as strong uh, as we've seen from the results. Yeah, obviously they're going to they're going to be different, but yeah, but his effect is is more similar to Schumacher than perhaps people are are, are keeping in mind. And I think that the people have this hope somehow that Mercedes just see Lewis as another driver and it's it's not the case, is it? That is Mercedes focus is Lewis Hamilton and delivering that world driver championship with with Lewis Hamilton much to the disappointment of you know, the people who don't like Lewis Hamilton. We've yeah, lost- always overlooked was the way that Schumacher did have number one status at Ferrari. You know, the way that they did team orders from so early on in the season, the way that the team was built, every number two knew they were number two and they were there happily being one. Um, they wanted to hopefully become a number one there in the future when Michael left or yeah. certain races, they were going to get the opportunity, but they knew that was the way the team was built. And I'm not saying that was a bad thing either. It, it delivered the success. It's a way of structuring your team. Uh, and when you have someone as good as Michael Schumacher, of course, you're going to want to try and make sure you get the most out of him. But in terms with Lewis, I think Merck have worked out the best way of getting the most out of Lewis isn't by making him the, the absolute number one. It's by creating ah. an environment where he can perform his best. <laughs> right. But you do say you both have an equal chance because Lewis then feels that that ability to make the difference. And then he feels that reward of, yeah, I did a better job than the other guy myself not because someone handed me something else and I think with Rosberg it was just a bit too conflict in terms of personality more than anything and Rosberg played as dirty as he needed to to get his title I think in Bottas it's someone who won't do that but still does have just as much of an opportunity as we saw at the start of the year I think Merck would would not have played around with anything at any stage in the season had Bottas been leading it I, I don't I do not believe they would have then been like but Lewis is the guy that's meant to win the title so Michael Schumacher is the lion cub who's just like, no, simply bring me a deer. And, and they bring him a deer. Whereas with Lewis Hamilton, they're like, no, 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 let's give you a, an injured deer for you to take down yourself. I guess that's a, a good bit, analogy. Yeah. Go yeah. That. Yeah. Well, it was in my head. It was better <laughs> in my head than when it came out. Uh, yeah. I was just the person you've got to feel for is Bartash because the picture you're painting is of a team that probably knows he's not going to challenge Lewis for the world championship. Whereas no one's really expressed that to him. Bottas is there to be world driver champion in his in his mind. Um, yeah, but I don't feel for him in that sense. I don't think I think he's aware of maybe that perception, but he also knows that 
he has got every opportunity if he delivers. It is all down to him. So I think it's probably exactly what he wants in that he knows if he performs at the ultimate best of his ability for a full season, he will give Lewis a bit of a hard time. The problem is he doesn't do that. He, when he does it, and we've seen it on occasion, he's very, very good. But then far too often he falls a bit flat and he has to work out how to avoid those. But that's what separates good or very good from great. And that's what he's lacking. But I, I think he's much better off where he is in terms of he knows if he can find that next level that it will he has the opportunities to win more. And if he can't, then he's only got himself to blame. Absolutely. Agreed. Uh, the chat room. Hello, live chat for joining us. You can join our live chat for all of Missed Apex's discussions by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex podcast. Uh, you'll see our faces and then the live chat below it. You can do all of that from your phone. Philip Allen says, oh dear, with a picture of a deer. Okay, okay. You can't win them all. I'm trying my best. Okay, uh, Brap Garage says, I wonder what Rosberg's clickbait hot take videos would have been about himself. <laughs> that's that's really funny. And, uh, and uh, oh, Brazil. People want us to talk about Brazil. If I can, before I let you go, can I just, can I get your hot take uh, <laughs> on on? What, what to expect from the Brazilian Grand Prix if we treat it that everybody's going to be still pushing hard. I think the, the big question on everyone's lips are, is, is Ferrari going to still not have that power? And I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on this, Chris. I actually think everyone's going to be surprised by how strong Ferrari is in Brazil. Um, and it was one of those where it just all, there was a lot of pieces that fell into place conveniently to say, oh, Ferrari have been cheating the whole loads. year. And, and this is the reason. Yeah, it was loads, Chris. Uh, potentially it has had an impact, but uh, something that Mark Hughes wrote very well um, on Motorsport Magazine actually to explain it was the fact that obviously Leclerc's problem in FP3 meant they went to an older spec engine. So he was down on power on the older spec engine. Uh, They also turned down Vettel's engine because they were worried that they'd get the same problem. They weren't sure what caused it. And that fear of the unknown meant they ran it a little bit more safely. Vettel was then, what, less than two hundredths of a second off pole position? Eh, um, off, off a Bottas pole position, though, not off a Hamilton true. pole. True. Well, true, but Bottas got it done and, and Hamilton didn't. And that Mercedes, uh, okay, hasn't been great. But then don't forget, Max put it on pole in Mexico when this TD didn't exist. And the gap between pole in Mexico to where the lead Ferrari was was way bigger than it was in Austin, on a, which is a longer track. So I actually think, based on that, because you, you had to run the car in the same, you know, it's part firming regulations as well. You can't then change it from qualifying to the race. So the car had to be legal for qualifying and was, uh, according to scrutineering. And then like, all Formula 1 teams are, in a sense, cheating. They're trying to get away with anything they can for the competitive advantage and try not to get caught. And that's why you suddenly get like protests like at Renault or Racing Point or Haas last year. Like They're all doing it. It's Part of the game is what can we push where and not get found out. So, um, yeah, that's why I always say it's legal according to scrutineering because that's what it has to be, uh, which I love it. I love that aspect of things. Uh, but yeah, so the Ferrari was still very competitive in qualifying. Uh, Vettel was then out in the race very early on. Uh, I don't think it's fair to judge his performance at all in those first few laps. When you look at the failure he had and him compared to Leclerc early on, he was so far off Leclerc, who was on an older spec power unit, then clearly there was a problem with his car. And Leclerc with an older spec power unit that, that was going to be higher on mileage, so they didn't really plan on racing. Quite quickly became clear they weren't going to be able to challenge Merck and Red Bull. Albon had been sent to the back, so he was out of the picture. They just turned the thing down and, and try and bring it home. But also, you do all that, you, you don't get the tyres to switch on. Think of how bad Ferrari were at the start of the year at times. They were yeah. miles off in certain races. So it kind of reverted to that. Um, so I think there's every chance that 
with the current spec power unit, tyres working in Brazil, that they'll still be quick. Um, but you're right, it will be fascinating because if they're not, especially in that final sector, which is all uphill and all power, then it will suggest something. But um, yeah, it, I was I was already in agreement, and then I read the Mark Hughes piece and was fully in agreement that um, yeah, there's there's every chance that we'll actually see Ferrari bouncing back, and it'll be great then to see Max's response to that. I I think you've put across a really balanced, well thought out argument. My uh, response to that is, I I think it's the other thing. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I think they got they got caught. I think they got caught out, and they're going to be crap in Brazil as well. Um, we've got our Nico Rosberg clickbait hot take from this. Our Chris Medlin quote from this episode is, all F1 teams are cheating, says Chris Medland. You can be found at Chris Medland F1. You do your writing over at Racer? Yep, racer.com. You can catch me on there. I do a few little preview bits as well for formula1.com. Uh, why we love Brazil will have just gone up, which if you love Brazil, you'll see why. Um, I, there, was a, there was a comment that came in that I wanted to point out. Oh, so someone asked very early on, I think, um, or you flagged up a question. Someone asked about uh, Drive to Survive season two and how that was coming along. Yes. The Nico Rosberg hot take. Um, all I can say is that Nico Rosberg will be involved at some point. So all teams are involved, Yay. which is great. Um, they've all got heavily involved by the end of the year. And uh, Nico was uh, being interviewed at some stage this year. So I don't know how it's going to be edited, whether it'll be used, what was good, what was not. I don't know if I'll be in it. I did one day of filming earlier in the year and then haven't since. Uh, but admittedly, they can change up the media. They, you know, they can't pick the drivers or the team bosses. They have to use those guys. Uh, they can pick the media faces they use. Um, looks like Will will still be in it. He was doing filming the other day. Don't know if I will be. They may go for more females in it, which they should have, I think, as well. So we might have some female journalists talking. Um, but whatever they do on that front, I'm, I'm really excited to see how it goes because, yeah, they've had even better access than last year. And um, I want to see Nico Rosberg's hot take on Netflix. Uh, yeah, you and no, just you. I think just you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sean asked a similar question actually, uh, not not related because he was he was talking about the F one media people. Uh, when you're like, is there jealousy? Do you go, Dah, Buxton hogging the Netflix again? What he's saying is, do you all get along, or is there actually a very competitive element? I guess not dissimilar to the drivers. You're all looking after your careers. Yeah, I'd say most get along, actually. It's, you are a bit of a big traveling family. Aww, There's times you tread on each other's toes a little and you have to be careful. <laughs> but to make each other's jobs easier means you need to work together quite a lot. Um, there's a few people that get bitter or get angry or whatever. Like I genuinely think from, from the way it looks, I don't think I'm going to be in season two, but then I completely could understand why. I think quite good to refresh things. And I do think there should be more women in the, uh, in the show. So if that happened, I can't take it too personally. I'll get too angry. Uh, but there were some people at the start of the year that were complaining because it was myself and Buxton and uh, they feel they should have been in it because they've done F1 a lot longer or they know certain other things. <laughs> um, you know, I can I can sort of understand that. But at, at the end of the day, it had to be whatever they needed to fit. Um, and I'm not the guy creating it in the same way that if they then pick someone else, they know what they need to make it best. And as long as the thing's a success, I think it's good for Formula One. We saw the biggest crowd since the first yeah. race in Austin. Uh, and they attributed it a huge part of it to Netflix. Similarly, in Mexico, they said there was a big um, increase in female fans that came to the race who cited Netflix that got them into F1. So 
I think it's had a really good positive impact. We have had loads of people say they found us after searching for podcasts, after catching the Netflix series. And I would say in the last six months, I don't know exactly why, we've seen a massive uh, uptake in our female listenership and the amount of interaction we get from female F1 fans as well. And Chris, if you're if you're annoying other journalists by you being in a thing and they're like, I oh, should be in that thing, I think that says a lot. That's a great compliment, really, isn't it? That that you're you're there putting a few people's noses out of joint. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I try. <laughs> I try to do that a little bit, but only certain people. Most people I don't want to upset. I've kept you much longer than I than I said I would. Chris Medland, go and find him on Twitter at Chris Medland F1 and find his stuff at the website racer.com. Is it racer.com? I wasn't listening before. Yeah, racer.com. Yeah, you got Ra- that right. Racer.com. Uh, you can join us for our Brazil race review at around 9pm UK time. We'll be here talking about the race. We won't have all the information, but we will be first as far as podcast land goes. Whenever you find us next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars. But glory, that lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. I mean, your facial reaction to the outro is fair. I I did it a couple of times. Now I'm not I'm not writing a new one. Now it's been a it's, it's solid. I like it. It's been too long. I'll take that as an endorsement. Ah, oh, God, there's so much there's so much clickbait that I can take out of this episode. It's fantastic. You're gonna be you're gonna be quoted so out of context on Twitter a lot. It'd be like being an F1 driver. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 